We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Volume. Lakers Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. You get great odds in markets for the NBA, NHL, college, and so much more. It's America's number one sportsbook. It's super easy to use. Plus, you can combine multiple bets from the same game into a same-game parlay. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. one 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. I'm Jason Timp. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great start to your week. Well, Kyrie Irving, you know, took us all for a ride yesterday. Uh, I think we did have a feeling this was going to go this way, thankfully, because we were almost victims of the nonstop NBA free agency news cycle. Uh, Fortunately, we had a feeling 
that he would end up staying with Brooklyn. So our series, or excuse me, off-season previews for both Brooklyn and LA, the Lakers were framed within the context of Kyrie returning to Brooklyn. We're going to get into that briefly. Stick around for later in the show. We're going to hit on um, a complete off-season preview for Brooklyn as well as a complete off-season preview for the Lakers. Some of the things I expect from them from their stars as well as some pieces that they can target this off-season to try to round out their rosters. And then stick around for the very end. We're going to touch on uh, some of this new media beef between Draymond Green and some of the establishment guys in the media. I had some thoughts there. I was listening uh, briefly to the crossover podcast today between Draymond Green and J.J. Redick, which was fantastic, as you could guess. We will get deeper into some of the topics that they touched on tomorrow, including a juicy one from Draymond today, saying that he believed the 2017 Warriors would lose. Uh, to LeBron and the Cavs had they not got Kevin Durant, which I think is pretty obvious, but I think Warriors fans probably disagree. We will dive into that concept a little bit more tomorrow. Uh, But today we're going to start with Kyrie, and I want to briefly touch on John Wall by getting bought out by the Rockets and getting back uh, uh, to the Clippers. Before we get started, remember to subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our content. Like this video, that does a lot to help us. Remember to follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys can see show announcements as well as any video content that I release. And last but not least, if for whatever reason you miss one of these videos and you can't get back to YouTube to finish it, we do release them in audio form on our podcast feed, which for the time being is under Lakers tonight. But let's start with Kyrie. So we all knew Kyrie was coming back, right? You know, it just didn't make any sense after everything that he had said about his partnership with Kevin Durant and how much he wanted to be with him, that he would suddenly change his mind over the obvious fact that the Brooklyn Nets would be stingy about potentially extending him for five years after he was a flake for two years. Now, we always needed to keep our minds open to the possibility that he would leave, right? Because Kyrie, like I said yesterday, is not wired the same way that most people are. His priorities are different. And he if you're thinking rationally with Kyrie, it's not necessarily uh, uh, the best indicator of what his actual decision-making process is. But we did guess that he would return. And the main reason why was in this specific case, we did expect him to act more normally. And that's what happened. I thought it was hilarious when he released that quote. You know, basically saying that he's one of the different people out there that's going to lead us into tomorrow, uh, even though what he did was basically what all of us would have done. He tried to leverage another offer or another situation to try to get a long-term, you know, financially rewarding contract for him. His boss, who uh, after he was very unreliable for two seasons, his boss said, no, we're not doing that. And then he said, well, I might leave and go to the Lakers and play for $6 million. And oh, if I leave, Kevin Durant might go with me. And uh, Josiah and Sean Marks were like, fine, do it. Go. First of all, we know you won't. Second of all, this kind of crap is exactly why we don't like partnering with you to begin with. And we feel like we can probably do something better with Kevin Durant or rebuilding with what we can get from him than trying to deal with this crap for uh, for another five years, which is what you want. So Kyrie, faced with his options running out, took the guaranteed money, the guaranteed max contract that he had for one more season in the form of his player option. So he did the normal thing. 
He took the best financial option for him that was available, and he tried to leverage some things around that. It was a very normal thing to do, but classic Kyrie with his complete lack of self-awareness to try to make us feel like he was trailblazing or doing something you know, unique or different or, or trying to change the way things work. No, dude, you did a classic business, businessman thing, and it didn't work for you, and as it turned out, you had a great backup plan, which was your player option. Um, that said, uh, the last thing I wanted to hit on with the Nets for this particularly, and again, stick around here in a minute. I'm going to get much deeper into the rest of their roster, things having to do with um, what kind of free agents they can target, the basketball fit with Ben Simmons and Kyrie. But if you are Josiah and Sean Marks, and this saga is just the final straw for you, and you're done with Kyrie, it still is advantageous for you to bring him back. Because as we'll get into here in just a few minutes... It doesn't, it doesn't get any worse than this in terms of trade value for Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons. Kyrie has destroyed his trade value to the point where when he tried to leverage this situation, 28 teams in the NBA were like, no thanks, and told Woj, Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN, no thanks, you can tell everybody we're not interested. It ended up only being the Lakers that were there. And then Ben Simmons, obviously, because of his, uh, his back issue, his uh, mental health issues, what happened against the Atlanta Hawks, his trade value is at an all-time low. So you bring everybody back, and you let them play basketball next year, they probably will be a good regular season team, at least it's a good uh, chance that that's the case. Then around the deadline, you can trade Kyrie and get something in return for him if you see this partnership going south, which I believe it will, like we've talked about at length. I don't think the Nets, or the Lakers really, but the Nets in particular for this case, have nearly enough talent to be a top-tier contender in this league. So what I expect is things to all look hunky-dory and for them to go into next season and to actually look pretty decent. But I think behind the scenes, Sean and Joe are just ready to be done with this guy. And I think they're going to do everything they can to get off of him as soon as they can. So uh, uh, let's talk about the Clippers for a second. John Wall reaching a buyout with the Rockets. That was to be expected. I'm going to do a bunch of off-season previews. Like today, we're doing Brooklyn and, and the Lakers. Um, but later this week, we're going to hit the Warriors, we're going to hit the Celtics, we're going to hit the Bucks, we're going to hit a bunch of other uh, top teams around the league. Um, but the Clippers, I'm not going to do a full-length preview on. The main reason why is I think they're pretty well-rounded out. They did the one thing they absolutely had to do this season, which was not blow it up. Kyrie Irving, a trade for Kyrie Irving would have sacrificed a lot of their depth. If they could have got him like the Lakers for that $6 million vet, uh, you know, uh, mid-level exception, then great. But that was never going to happen, right? They stayed away from Kyrie Irving. They kept their depth. As I've talked about a lot on the show, the Clippers, to me, are a better version of the Celtics when they're healthy. They've got a better version of Jason Tatum and Kawhi Leonard, a better version of Jalen Brown and Paul George, and then they have the same type of perimeter versatility and depth on the wing with all of those guys like Nicholas Batum and Marcus Moore Sr. and Terrence Mann and Reggie Jackson. They just have a million guys that can guard multiple positions up and down the roster. They can switch everything. They have really good spacing concepts. That's the way they almost beat the Suns last year and the way they did beat the Utah Jazz last year, or I should say two years ago, it was because they were the consummate modern basketball team. They did a ton of things like the Boston Celtics did, and that's why they were so successful. They needed to run that back. They had an injury issue last year. They had a Paul George issue and a Kawhi Leonard issue with not being on the court. It was not a roster construction issue or anything else around those lines. The last thing they did that I thought was important was they re-signed Zubac. Yeah, I think they got him for three years, $33 million. They had him under bird rights, so there was absolutely no reason to let him go as long as you had an owner who's willing to pay and Steve Ballmer's willing to pay. So the Clippers are in good shape. So how does John Wall fit into this? Well, the Clippers are a classic drive-and-kick basketball team. 
We have no idea what John Wall is going to look like. If you think you know, you don't, because we've never seen him play against real NBA talent. Not for years, right? It's been years since we've seen John Wall play against real NBA talent, for real, in real high-stakes games, not playing with the Rockets who are actively trying to tank, right? So we don't know what to expect. Here's what I do know, though. The Clippers are the best situation for a player to step in to succeed in a drive-and-kick situation. He's going to have good spacing. He's going to have great shooters to drive and kick to. He's going to have lots of opportunity against weaker defensive matchups to try to create advantages. If he is still capable of doing so at an NBA level, we will know with this Clippers team. This is the peak situation for him to attempt to regain some of the success he had earlier in his career. John Wall used to be a really inconsistent jump shooter. Towards the end of his career, he's actually been better as a jump shooter, so especially in spot-up situations, so I think he'll be fine there. And he's always been an underrated passer. It's something he does really, really well. The hardest thing he's going to have to do to really fit in and get, get a significant chunk of rotation minutes with this Clippers team is defend. Because just like the Clippers are going to put you in space and make you guard on the perimeter... Other good teams will do that to the Clippers. And if you have a weak link in there, it can be a problem. So it'll be mostly important for John Wall to hold his on uh, hold his own on the perimeter. I thought it was a smart move for the Clippers because, again, it's a, it's he's probably going to be signing on a veteran minimum contract. It's a low-risk play for them. John Wall is already getting his money. He only sacrificed $6 million in the buyout. So it kind of makes sense for both sides. And I'm actually really genuinely curious to see what happens. But we're not doing a full series, a full offseason preview for the Clippers because I already kind of view them as a finished product. They just need to get healthy and get everybody back out on the court. I would imagine they'll target one or two additional wings uh, in the in the mid-level exception market, the veteran minimum market, but those are just cherries on top for them. Their core lineup is already put together. They're a team that knows exactly who they are and exactly how they're supposed to play, and they're going to be really dangerous. As I've said before, I think the Warriors are the runaway favorite next year, but I think the Clippers are right there behind them in the West. All right, here in just a couple minutes, we're going to get into our full offseason preview for the Brooklyn Nets and the Lakers. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps... 
in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. It's important to understand to get a better feel for why this situation is going the way it's going to remember what went wrong in Cleveland and what went wrong in Boston. Because... Let's go back to 2017. Everything was hunky-dory. Team was great. Really, everything outside of the awful NBA Finals where they got, you know, uh, gentlemen swept by the best basketball team I've ever seen, the 2017 Warriors. Outside of that, it was a very good season. They had some ups and downs in the regular season, but it's because they just had general malaise. They didn't respect their opponents in the Eastern Conference. And when you pay, when you play uh, 50 of your 32 games... Um, against uh, your own conference, you're just generally going to have, especially in the East around that time, a relatively easy schedule, and that team uh, sleepwalked through most of the season. But then they got into the playoffs, and they just destroyed everybody. They didn't lose a single playoff game in the Eastern Conference until the Eastern Conference Finals when they blew like a 20-point lead late against the Celtics and then promptly destroyed them the next two times they played. So that team was a great team. And after they lost in the NBA Finals, after they got gentlemen swept, Kyrie Irving uh, went to the press conference table and basically said, you know, I cherish these moments. To, I can't, I'm paraphrasing here, but like, cherish these moments playing with LeBron, need to get learn as much from him while I have a chance. Very positive, right? And then almost immediately after that, things went south. And we started hearing about the reports of Kyrie wanting a trade. And now we've learned in retrospect through reporting that one, throughout the 2017 playoff run, Kyrie Irving started to emotionally pull away from the team. He has now since admitted to this. In, uh, uh, in I, think, I think it was when he was on with Eddie Gonzalez with the ETCs. But he has now since admitted to the fact that he pulled away from that team. For no particular reason, too, he said. It was just something he was going through, okay? We also learned after the fact that he was very upset that the Cavaliers were considering trading him. He took that personally. Now, we know in retrospect, it had a lot to do with the fact that he was emotionally pulling away from the team. There, like, it, it, Just imagine a, a, a veteran group of guys in pursuit of a championship and one of your best players, your second best players, just kind of pulling away, sitting over there quiet by his locker by himself. It started to internally cause some concern which is why they considered shopping him. And it wasn't like they were shopping him for bums. They were potentially shopping him for Paul George. And LeBron ended up nixing the deal because he would not commit long-term to the Lakers. But for whatever reason, that saga, the trade plus whatever was going on with him during that playoff run, convinced Kyrie all of a sudden that the Cavs were against him. And as soon as he got to that point, it was like bridges burned. And we, uh, we learned after the fact that LeBron was on vacation when he heard about this trade rumor, and LeBron was freaking out, doing everything he can, trying to call Kyrie to try to fix the thing, and he couldn't even get in contact with him. Kyrie, as soon as he decided he was done with Cleveland, he was done with Cleveland. There was no chance. He even told them, if you bring me back next year, 
I will get knee surgery. That's how nuclear he went with the Caps. Now we fast forward to Boston. In Boston, he does that weird thing at the beginning of the season where he gets on the microphone in front of the crowd and says, if you guys will have me, I'll come back next year. He does that commercial with his father where he talks about potentially having his jersey hung in the rafters. Everything's good. But the Boston Celtics fan base started to get frustrated with Kyrie. Some of the passive-aggressive way that he talked to his teammates, his lack of commitment to the defensive end of the floor, his struggles in the playoff series against the Milwaukee Bucks, and Kyrie built a vendetta of some sort, some sort of personal beef between him and the Celtics fan base, and he was done with them. Jason Tatum was one of his best friends. He'd had no issues inside the locker room. He, it, it, obviously, the young guys were sick of Kyrie talking about them that way, but there was no basketball reason for him to leave the Celtics. It was a personal beef between him and the fan base that pushed him out the door. The point being here is in the pre, two previous situations, there was no rational reason for Kyrie to leave. His best chance to win was to stay in Cleveland after 2017, run it back with the 2018 Cavs who went to the finals without him. That was his best chance. He didn't want that. He wanted to get out because of a personal beef. His best bet was to stay with the Boston Celtics who were up and coming with all of the talent they had and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart. He didn't want anything to do with that because of his own personal feelings about the situation and he left. So whatever rationale you have for this net situation, if you think it has to do with basketball, it doesn't. If you think it has to do with money, it doesn't. He burnt the bridge with Nike when he was making all that money. So, like, as you guys can see, this is irrelevant to Kyrie. Whatever thought process you have about the way this is supposed to go, he's operating under a different, a different thought process. And it's not entirely unusual. People have different priorities. Some people are more money motivated and some people are not. Kyrie strikes me as the kind of guy who doesn't care about that kind of thing. But I do genuinely believe that he loves Kevin Durant. I actually know this for a fact, that Kevin Durant and Kyrie are way closer than any of you guys even realize. But that said, that wasn't enough for Kyrie for all of the bridge that was burnt between him and the, and the Nets franchise. And I think it's both ways at this point, too. I think the Nets are sick of him, too, for obvious reasons that we don't have to get into, having to do with Kay Kyrie being a flake, like a factually uh, repeated offender flake, okay? Like, there's just no other way around. <clears throat> so the question is, why have the Lakers emerged as a partner? Because Woj also, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski also reported this morning that the other 28 teams are just hard pass. Like, we're, we're not doing it, right? So why have the Lakers emerged as a partner? Well, a couple of different reasons. First of all, it's a little bit easier to, to understand or uh, accept the idea of taking a guy that's as volatile as Kyrie on when you have a personality like LeBron James in the locker room, especially one that's dealt with Kyrie in the past. Also, Kyrie and LeBron have since patched things up from what happened in Cleveland. I think that partnership makes it a little bit less a little bit less dangerous than it would be in other situations there. But most importantly, the Lakers are desperate. The Lakers this year, as it turned out, didn't have nearly enough talent. And a lot it came down to a bunch of different things. LeBron aging to the point where he started to break down physically, so now he doesn't play in 82 games anymore. It came down to Anthony Davis's rapid decline from being a guy who was a surefire top five player in the league to a guy that might not even be top 15 right now. That's the type of decline that he experienced. So those two things, in addition to gutting the roster for Russell Westbrook, who is a bad basketball player in the role that he wants to play, 
that gutted this team of talent. And so they don't have the luxury of turning around, turning down talent for the sake of whatever uh, uh, off-court concerns that you might have. You know, I've I worked in real estate before I got into this business, and one of the people that, uh, that trained me uh, used to say, generate so you don't have to tolerate. Essentially, the idea was is if you generate a, a, a long list of clients that are loyal to you, then you can be nitpicky about which people you want to work with. Working with the general public is hard, as you can imagine. Now just imagine there's a half a million dollars on the table or a quarter of a million dollars on the table. As you can imagine, people get very sensitive. People get very emotional. It gets intense. And so when you're dealing with the general public, at the beginning of your career, you kind of have to. You know, you have to take whatever you can get because you're trying to get a footing in the business. But your goal is to get to a point where you can turn people away. Oh, you're a jerk. You're an asshole. I don't want to deal with you. Oh, you're dishonest. You know, oh, you're a scumbag. Okay, no thanks. I don't care if you're going to pay me $10,000 to help you facilitate this transaction. I just don't want to work with you. You have to generate enough business so that you don't have to tolerate the downsides. The Lakers do not have enough talent to be able to turn away Kyrie Irving. They absolutely must take him if he comes. Now, maybe they'll get lucky and they'll get him for that $6 million uh, 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 traded player exception. We'll get into that a little bit further when we talk about the Lakers as, as a free agency preview. But the bottom line is, is the Lakers in their current predicament with year 20 LeBron and with Anthony Davis and with their lack of future assets, they have no choice but to take the talent that is available to them. And in this case, it's Kyrie Irving. And that means that there's risk. It's very like if Kyrie Irving halfway through the season decides he needs a two week emotional break, you can't be upset about that. If you're the Lakers, he did it two years in a row, basically, right? Did it twice, two years ago. And then he had the COVID stuff this year, like Kyrie. It's, it's essentially more likely than not that he'll do some weird stuff during the season next year. He'll probably leave you hanging a few times, but again, you don't have the luxury of turning that away. Now, all of that said, what do I actually expect to happen? I think that cooler heads will prevail, particularly with Kevin Durant and the Nets, and they'll end up re-signing Kyrie to some sort of mid-range max contract. Like I think they'll ditch the, uh, the, the qualifiers, like that 65-game limit that they wanted. I think it'll be more like a three-year max, something like that, that's fully guaranteed. That's just my guess. And the reason why is simple, and we're going to get to it a little bit deeper here in just a minute when we talk about the Nets free agency preview, but there's no advantage to Brooklyn letting him go, and it's a terrible case of asset management. Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving right now have lower trade value than they've ever had for obvious reasons. We don't have to get into them. So trading them now, even if you think this is an absolute disaster, you're better off waiting. And even if halfway through the season, if Kyrie can just put up 30 points twice in a week, it might trick some GM into thinking it's a good option again, and maybe you can move him for some quality pieces. So the Nets, as a smart, well-run organization, I expect Sean Marks and for, and for Joe Sy to come to the table and be like, okay, we really don't want to do this, but we got to pay him. Because if we lose him, we basically have to blow this whole thing up. And if we blow this whole thing up, why not blow it up in a year when K- KD and, or Kyrie and, and Ben Simmons have more trade value because they've actually played some more basketball? So th- that's what I expect to happen. But I just wanted you guys to understand, like, this is not exactly the first time Kyrie has had this type of emotional disconnect from another NBA team. And it's important for us to discard any of our normal logical progression of thinking. Because Kyrie doesn't follow that path. 
He is a very different thinker. He's very non-traditional in the way he sees the world, in the way he sees money, in the way he sees everything. So whatever you think he should think, he's not going to think. So we need to change our expectations. So let's talk. Let's let's dive into this Brooklyn Nets thing uh, for their uh, free agency preview. So again, like I said earlier, Ben Simmons didn't play basketball at all last year and had injury concerns, right? Bad back and mental health stuff, and straight up just didn't play basketball. So, and then the the last time he played basketball was him looking utterly useless in an NBA playoff series against a pretty mediocre team in the Atlanta Hawks, right? So Ben Simmons' trade value is at an all-time low. It will never be lower than it is right now. Because even if you went and played basketball next year and struggled, he would at least be playing basketball, which would automatically increase his trade value. Kyrie Irving. You know, what Boston did to Brooklyn wasn't all Kyrie's fault. As a matter of fact, there's an argument I wouldn't make it, but there's an argument that Kyrie outplayed KD in that series. Again, I wouldn't make that argument. But my point is, is Kyrie was not to blame for this latest Brooklyn Nets collapse in terms of what happened in the playoff series. You could say maybe continuity for him not being in and out of the lineup and stuff. The point is, is Kyrie is still damn good at the game of basketball. What has nuked his value is his flakiness. What happened two years ago when he repeatedly was taking leave of absences from the team and what happened last year with the the COVID-19 shot, right? It was not basketball related. So it's never going to get lower than this because if he goes to training camp next year, finishes training camp, plays in a few preseason games, and then plays 15 of the first 20 games of the regular season and looks like Kyrie and puts up 23 points per game on 60% true shooting, that's Kyrie Irving. And almost over, just in that 15-game stretch or 20-game stretch, he will massively resuscitate his own trade value. So, you know, I... I, I I, you guys know how I feel. I'm, I'm, I just did a whole thing about this uh, last week. You have to acknowledge reality. And the reality is, is this Brooklyn Nets team is not a top-tier contender. So that automatically gears me towards rebuild. Because I just don't think they have the pieces that they need to win the trophy. That said, timing is everything here. Usually, you want to blow things up sooner. Why? Because guys age, right? And maybe if you trade KG, Kevin Garnett, one year earlier than one year later, you can get one additional first-round pick or one additional quality player versus if it's a year later, teams will be less willing to view him as some value, right? That's usually the thought process. The difference here is Ben and Kyrie are far more likely to increase their trade value even just by next year's trade deadline. So in this case, even if internally... If Sean Marks is looking at, uh, uh, if Sean Marks and Josiah are looking at each other and they're like, "Hey, this thing is over. It's not going to work." Even then, you have to bring everybody back because you stand to gain so much more by playing more basketball with these guys to raise their trade value. And who knows? Maybe you put this together and there's some sort of organic, amazing Ben, Kyrie, Kevin fit, and it all works, and that's great. There's you've nothing to lose there. But if it's a disaster. In, in February, when it's the trade deadline, you're in the exact same predicament you were in this summer, which is Katie and Ky- or Kyrie and Ben Simmons have no trade value. Okay, great. That's what we were already dealing with. So it's it's one of those things where I I I might be leaning towards blowing things up if I'm Brooklyn, but there's literally no reason to do it right now. Now Kyrie might literally force you to do that. If Kyrie opts out, 
And just because he's like, screw you guys, I'm done with you. If he opts out, which like we talked about earlier, Jake Fisher has reported is likely. If he does that, then you have to press self-destruct. Because if K- if Kyrie, KD, and Ben Simmons is not enough, KD and Ben Simmons is definitely not enough. And I have, I, and this is coming from someone who has the utmost respect for Kevin Durant. So the way I look at it, in this specific case, if you if you lose Kyrie, you blow it up. But if Kyrie ends up agreeing to terms with you to come back on a contract, you keep everybody. And you ride this thing out at least until the trade deadline. And if it doesn't look good then, you can at least move them because Kyrie and Ben will at least have been playing basketball at that point. So now let's fast forward to the most likely scenario, which I talked about earlier. Ben Simmons is back. Kyrie Irving is back. Kevin Durant is back. I actually like the basketball fit there. The Kyrie KD fit, as we've seen in the last two years, has been amazing on the offensive end of the floor. There have been no issues there. Ben Simmons, in theory, is a fantastic basketball fit with that. He could take primary defensive assist, uh, assignments on the perimeter as well as anybody in the league. Ben Simmons, in his prime, healthy, on the basketball court, guarding a perimeter player, is a sight to behold. One of my favorite things was last or two years ago, the last year Ben Simmons actually played, was watching him play in a regular season game against Dame Lillard. And I watched him utterly swallow up Dame Lillard. Couldn't even get shots off. He was struggling, struggling mightily just to get clean looks at the rim. That, that's Dame freaking Lillard. That's the type of talent that Ben Simmons is on the defensive end of the floor. When you fill that in with his playmaking and his ability to get the uh, grab a rebound and push the break as a, as a ball handler to allow KD and Kyrie to fill the wings as shooters, what he can do as a screen and roll big man is basically a short roller, kind of like what Draymond Green, well, really what Bruce Brown was doing for them last year. And and his again, we talked about this in our season wrap up pod. But size and athleticism from a perimeter player, in my opinion, is the most valuable thing in the league right now. Ben Simmons is a massive, a, a, a arguably one of the uh, one of the best examples of that for a role player, which is what Ben Simmons is at this point. He obviously has to make monumental improvements elsewhere in his game to become a star. So I love the original basketball fit there. We have Joe Harris coming back. Got, it took as much time as he needed off last year, got the surgery that he needed. Joe Harris should be back and should look good next year. He's a solid defensive player. He could do lock and trail stuff and guard him because he's big and strong. He's not overly tall, but he's trunky. He's like got a, 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 low, a, big, uh, a low center of gravity and he's strong. So he can hold his own against bigger, stronger wings. And he could shoot, he could shoot the shit out of the basketball. So I like the Joe Harris fit. Patty Mills is most likely going to opt in. That's just what I expect. We'll see. Uh, Bruce Brown's a free agent, but they have his bird rights, so they'll probably retain him. But they have no draft pick. So that's basically your 10 guys right there. And so from that standpoint, they're going to have to fill in some things on the uh, the uh, periphery there. And I'm going to say the same thing that I'm going to say about the Lakers soon. You have plenty of offense. You have plenty of shooting. But your biggest weakness is Boston was so much bigger than you on the perimeter and you had too many minutes for Seth Curry, too many minutes for Patty Mills, too many minutes for uh, uh, Goran Dragic, too many small perimeter players that got manhandled by the bigger, stronger Boston perimeter players. So you need to target bigger role players. Now I was looking at, I was looking into this this morning, just trying to find some examples, and I'll give you some because 
and I don't feel particularly passionate about any of these because there are a lot of them. There are dozens of players available this summer that fit this mold that you can have somewhere between the veteran minimum and the mid-level, mid-level exception that are between 6'5 and 6'8 that can guard multiple positions and can do basic things on offense. A couple of them off the top of my head, DeAndre Bembry, Daniel House, who looked great this year. Josh Jackson, Wesley Matthews, Otto Porter Jr. Is like, it could potentially be available if the Warriors can't resign him. Those are just a handful of examples, but there's a, there are dozens more. And the reason why I'm not overly picky about who is because these are small roles we're asking to fill. We are not asking for, you know, Mikhail Bridges here, a guy to be defensive player of the year for you and give you 18 points a game. That's not what we're asking. These are small roles next to all-star players. My favorite example of this is the 2020 Lakers. Because LeBron James and Anthony Davis took so much of the workload off the table, it allowed guys like KCP, who are pretty average NBA role players, to look great because they had small roles and they were able to hit those small roles out of the park. And so from that standpoint, if everything else pans out, if Ben Simmons is healthy, Kyrie Irving is available, Kevin Durant looks like Kevin Durant, Joe Harris is back, Patty Mills is in there. If you have all of those things, then that allows you to go up to Daniel House and be like, all I need you to do is guard this dude, be, a, be reliable in our help scheme, and stand over there in the corner. And if you catch the ball and you're open, shoot it. And if they close out at you, attack the closeout. And guess what? You'll have lots of space to operate because no one's going to want to leave Kevin Durant, Patty Mills, and Kyrie Irving. Right? So having that small role allows those types of players to succeed. Don't overthink it. Don't look for a Malik Monk like the Lakers did. Malik Monk is awesome. But alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis, it's actually more important for him to do little things than for him to go score 25. Does that make sense? So I, I, I would target those types of players, defensive-minded role players that are athletic on the perimeter and have a good amount of size because they will do the dirty work alongside your stars. And then last but not least with Brooklyn, Kyrie and KD are uniquely immune to spacing concerns. So you like, let's say you're looking at a guy like a Josh Jackson or a Wesley Matthews, a, a bigger, more athletic wing, although Wesley's a little shorter, but he's a great defensive player for his position. Guys like that, you get concerned like, oh, his shooting percentage, he's only 34% on wide open threes or whatever it is. And you're right, like guys are going to ignore him often and sit in the paint. Just ask the Milwaukee Bucks. But Kyrie and KD are uniquely immune to spacing. Spacing concerns are a problem for slashers who rely on getting consistent rim pressure because the paint is clogged. But, because those situations force you to shoot over the top of the defender. But what if your specialty is to shoot over the top of the defender? Kyrie and KD, their bread and butter is getting to off-the-dribble jump shots, getting separation with step backs and sidesteps and crossovers and things along those lines. So... They are comfortable shooting over the top. So you can do things like play non-floor spacing role players and understand that Kyrie and KD are going to still have a certain amount of success scoring the basketball because they're just comfortable in those situations. So again, who the heck knows what's going to happen with the Nets this week? But that specific plan I just laid out is what I think is the best plan for Brooklyn provided that Kyrie ends up re-signing, which I still expect him to do. All right, let's move on to the Lakers. So I talked about this a little bit earlier, but I want to go over it really quickly one more time. There's a reason why they have to be the team that goes after Kyrie Irving. They do not have the luxury of turning around, turning down talent in their current situation. Like we talked about earlier, Anthony Davis declining from a top five player to a top 15 player 
LeBron James still being a top five player, but being less available and then trading all of your depth and talent on the wing for Russell Westbrook utterly gutted this team of talent. And they were at a talent disadvantage most nights in the NBA this year. So you don't have the luxury of turning down uh, Kyrie Irving, even with all of his drama, even with all of the issues that come along with it. So I expect that that's why they had to put their name in this hat. That said, like we talked about earlier, I don't actually expect that to happen. So for, for the sake of this uh, free agency preview, we're going to go on the assumption that Kyrie Irving is not a Laker. If for whatever reason he ends up uh, siding with the Lakers, you guys know we'll end up doing a separate video that kind of has a different type of outlook based on that outcome. So from the start, we know that we have the LeBron and Anthony Davis core. Now, this used to be a core that I believed in very strongly. Those of you guys who listened to me before this last season understood why, even despite everything that happened, even despite the Russell Westbrook trade, why I was so confident in that group. And the main reason why was LeBron James and Anthony Davis. If you guys remember, I said that in the previous two seasons, when LeBron James and Anthony Davis were actually available and on the court healthy, they won almost 80% of their games. And never were, even, never were even remotely threatened in that playoff run, right? It was very similar to the playoff run that the Warriors just had. It was a dominant run to the title. And so, I believed in that course so much that even with the Russell Westbrook trade and all of the negative that came with that, I was like, hey man, if LeBron James and Anthony Davis are on the floor, they'll be fine. Here's the problem. Last year, the net rating with LeBron and Anthony Davis on the floor together was lower than it was the previous season with both of them off the floor. That's how bad they were last year. You know that 80% win percentage they had the previous couple years? They were 11-10 last year when LeBron James and Anthony Davis played. And there's a couple of reasons for that. With, with uh, LeBron's obviously available here, and, so, and LeBron played like an MVP. So it's LeBron a little bit on the defensive end, letting go of the rope, not being as bought into Frank Vogel's defensive scheme as he used to be. But a huge part of it was Anthony Davis's decline. This is something I've talked about on the show a lot. Anthony Davis was a bona fide top five player in the league in the bubble. He was a dominant defensive force, right? Rudy Gobert-esque type of defensive force, arguably better, depending on who you ask. He was hitting post-fadeaways like he was Kevin Durant, bullying mismatches, hitting game winners, and was just an all-around dominant two-way superstar. You know, LeBron James was the best player on that team. That's, to me, unassailable. However, Anthony Davis was right there. <laughs> like, that's how good he was. He was right there with LeBron James in one of the most dominant playoff runs of his career. Who, and he's the second best basketball player of all time, in my opinion. So that's how good Anthony Davis was. He's not that good anymore. He put on weight. He lost foot speed. As a result, he's his body's starting to fail him. As a result, he hasn't been on the court long enough for him to keep his rhythm. As a result, his jump shot has completely fallen apart. He was one of the worst volume jump shooters in the league last year. And so Anthony Davis is arguably not even a top 15 player anymore. I think when he's healthy now, even with all of his decline in terms of his skill, he's still right around the 14th, 15th best player in the league. But there's a case that he's even lower than that. And so that defensive lack of buy-in from LeBron plus Anthony Davis's decline amounted to the LeBron and Anthony Davis core going from being the most dominant pairing in the NBA to kind of underwhelming, you know? And so a couple of things, really easy here. The number one thing that matters for the Lakers this summer, forget about anything else I'm about to talk about. We're going to talk about Russ. I'm going to give you guys three potential Russell Westbrook trades. I'm going to talk about uh, uh, what they should do on the perimeter, uh, periphery, like different things 
that um, uh, different moves that they should make to kind of polish off the rest of the roster. None of that even comes close to having nearly as much impact as Anthony Davis getting back to what he was in 2020. If he does that, it will completely transform the outlook for this roster. I'll give you guys an example. Jason Tatum. We think he's probably right around the 10th best player in the league, right? Well, Steph Curry was the second best player in the league, in my opinion, right behind Giannis. But arguably the best player in the league, right? That gap, look back to the NBA Finals. Think about how much that gap mattered. Think about the difference in Tatum's impact on those games and Steph Curry's impact in those games. That's the difference between the the best guy in the league and the 10th best guy in the league. That's the difference. There's a reason why Steph Curry and LeBron have won eight of the last 11 titles. There's a reason why Kawhi and Giannis have the other three. It's because that top tier of superstars is uniquely capable of impacting basketball games in a way that no other basketball player can. So once you get past Giannis and Steph and LeBron and KD, there's a drop-off, a big one. And so Anthony Davis being in that tier, as opposed to being in the third tier, down around the 15th best player in the league, that, that's, the, that's the best way that this Lakers team can experience an influx of talent. Now, I'm not optimistic about it. He went, he went a couple months without touching a basketball again. Then we see KD talking on Twitter. He uh, uh, went on with Eddie Gonzalez from the ETCs and he t- uh, tweeted about it. KD goes two days without touching a basketball and is so antsy that he delays the recording of a podcast to go to the gym with his trainer because he's like, I was getting anxiety because I was thinking about all uh, how all the other players in the league are getting better and I'm not. That, that That's the difference in the way those two guys are wired. I don't think it's a coincidence that Anthony Davis shot 18% from three last year. Those two things are very closely related in my opinion. Some people disagree, but that's just the way I see the game. And so Anthony Davis getting back to what he was is the biggest swing factor for this Lakers team. And then secondly, getting Darvin Ham to get these guys to buy in again. Because like I talked about earlier, LeBron's not off the hook here. LeBron averaged 30, had a magical offensive season. But he declined significantly on the defensive end, and it wasn't because of his athleticism. It was because of his commitment. And so if he can get, if Darvin Ham can get LeBron James and Anthony Davis bought in defensively to start this season, and Anthony Davis gets back to what he was, right away, like 80% of the Lakers' problems are fixed. Like, that simple. Even if it's Wenyan Gabriel, Austin Reeves, and Stanley Johnson alongside them, they will win a shit ton of basketball games because that's how good those two guys are when they are truly committed and healthy and dialed in on both ends of the floor. So that's that's why we got to keep an eye on AD. Let's talk about Russell Westbrook, though. So Mark Stein yesterday said that he guesses, if he had to guess, so this is not reporting, but if he had to guess, he guessed that Russell Westbrook would be on the roster for day one of training camp. His reasoning was the Lakers have continued to shut down any attempts to get them to take back long-term salary for Russ or to give out any assets like their two first-round picks that they have available to 2027 and the 2029. They've been shutting all of that down, which I don't have to get into again, but to make a long story short, Russell Westbrook is a bad contract. You have year 20 LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the roster. If you think the 2027 and 2029 first-round picks 
are more valuable than trying to win a championship with the second greatest basketball player ever and one of the best power forwards ever alive and ready to play right now, then you are punting that for the sake of, a, of two guys, two players in 2027 and 29 that have a very, very, very small chance of even getting close to as good as AD and LeBron are right now. That's how foolish that is. And if you're concerned about taking back long-term salary, hey, guess what? The Hornets were able to trade it. Let's, let's pretend this happens. Let's say the Hornets trade uh, you know, Gordon Hayward in a deal for Russell Westbrook. Now the Lakers have Gordon Hayward. Well, you don't think you'd be able to trade him for a similar player like Russ in the future? A similar short-term, huge contract that someone's trying to dump? That's how this stuff works. Yes, it sucks to take on long-term salary, but you can deal with it. Yes, it sucks to trade away two first-round draft picks, but you also were able to get the number 35 pick this year by trading a couple of future seconds. So the point is, is that those are fixable problems. Draft picks, salary, those are fixable problems. What is not fixable is LeBron's getting older. What is not fixable is you have an opportunity right now with LeBron James and Anthony Davis to win a title. You have to devote yourself to that right now. So that, 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 we don't, I, I didn't even want to get back into that today, but it's just something that irritates me so much that I couldn't help myself. But if Mark Stein is right, and they are more concerned about protecting those draft picks and their long-term salary flexibility than committing to winning with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, that's outrageous. If that's your approach, trade LeBron. Get, get him out of here. There's, there's absolutely no reason to subject him to this. You know, I, 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 I'm not a huge believer in, in putting the priorities of a player over a franchise. You know, obviously, if you're the Lakers, you have a commitment to your own team. But, but why did you get into LeBron James' business then? Why did you get into this business if this wasn't your ultimate goal, to win the trophy? And I've always thought that's so funny. Well, what about this 2027 draft, you know, first-round draft pick? How many first-round draft picks become superstars? What are the, what's the statistical probability that one of those guys will ever be as good as LeBron James is right now? It's, it reminds me of that Peter Griffin thing. It's like uh, from Family Guy. It's like, well, it's a mystery box. It could even be a boat. It's like, well, the boat's right there, man. You can literally have the boat. And you're more concerned about the mystery box, which might be a boat. That, that, I, I, it's just such an ass-backwards way of, of doing things. But, but So if we look at the roster, we know that we have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And we know that we have whatever comes back for Russ. Because I'm going to, for the sake of this preview, make the assumption that Russ is gone. Because I just, I just can't even fathom why they would bring him back. I, to do that to Darvin Ham uh, would be outrageous. So these are my three favorite Russ trades. Now to be clear, these are optimistic Russ trades for the Lakers. So in all three cases, they would have to attach a first-round draft pick. And in all three cases, they would probably have to bet on those teams not getting better offers from uh, elsewhere in the league. There are variations of these offers that are less advantageous for the Lakers that they might end up having to take. But just these are very glass-half-full, rose-colored glasses trades that the Lakers could potentially make this summer. So first, with the Charlotte Hornets. Kelly Oubre, Terry Rozier is a really good guard that I like a lot, and P.J. Washington. P.J. Washington's a really good player. I don't think it necessarily fits into Charlotte's long-term future, so I think that's why he could potentially be available. And, but, but he's good enough that the Lakers would absolutely have to include a first. 
But that trade allows you to bring back three quality role players, including two very athletic wings, to fill in some of the perimeter size deficiencies that the Lakers had in previous seasons. There's variations of that trade, right? Like you could swap in, if they wanted to keep P.J. Washington, you could take back Miles Plumley. I really think the Lakers need one backup center. You guys know I don't like traditional centers, but you got to have one on the roster for weird matchups or to eat innings in the regular season. Don't think they should be in the regular rotation, but you need them. Uh, uh, Plumlee's a good example of one, or a guy like uh, Dwight Howard, if you brought him back at the, at the minimum, to be a guy who played you know 12 minutes a game as your backup center and or for specific matchups against guys like Jokic or Embiid, right? So there's variations of that trade, including guys like Plumlee. Break glass in case of emergency, if they're like, no, 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 we're giving you Gordon Hayward, you take back Gordon Hayward if you have to, because again, you're trading Russell Westbrook here. But I'd prefer to avoid Gordon Hayward because of his injury history. But that's trade option number one. Number two, New York Knicks. Alec Burks, Evan Fournier, and Nerlens Noel. Now, there's a couple of things here. You'd have to wait until after they finish the Jalen Brunson signing because in this particular case, they'd be t- the Knicks would be taking back more money than they'd be sending out. But it, the big one here is they get off of long-term money from Fournier, which if you're trying to build for the future and you see it as a Brunson-Julius Randle thing, Fournier, it doesn't really fit for you there. And you have him for three years left on his deal – it's a great way to generate some almost immediate flexibility going into the following season. Burks and Noel each have two years left on their deal. I think they're both right around. I think they combined for about uh, $16 million, if I remember correctly. So in this case, you wait until after the Jalen Brunson signing. You get back three quality perimeter role players to play alongside uh, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Again, there, I think they'd have to include a first-round pick. And then last but not least, the Indiana Pacers. You guys have heard this one, but uh, Malcolm Brogdon and, and Buddy Heald. Again, this is betting on the Pacers wanting to rebuild. You absolutely would have to include a first here because Malcolm Brogdon is that high quality of a player. Buddy Heald is kind of a mixed bag around the league because he's such a great offensive player, but he's limited defensively and he's had some health concerns in his career as well. But that's another two guys. Heald is not a great physical profile defensively on the wing, uh, but Malcolm Brogdon is. And so you're getting back a a good two-way guard and then a good high-end offensive guard that likely would fit really well alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So like I said, those are rose-colored glasses types of trades. You'll probably end up having to take something a little less than that. Those are just three examples of good outcomes for the Lakers in a Russell Westbrook trade. And again, giving up a first-round draft pick, yes, I understand the 2027 first might be how you rebuild one day. But you also have LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the roster. You owe it to them to try to make this work. And in this case, swapping a pick five years in the future to bring back quality role players is an excellent trade-off for the Lakers. So then in this case, we'd have whatever package comes back, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kendrick Nunn, Taylor Horton Tucker, all under contract. Stanley Johnson, Austin Reeves, and Wenyan Gabriel are all on team options, all for right around $2 million for the season. I expect them to take all of those. They're discounted, they're good fits, they play hard, and they bring that little influx of youth that this team needs so badly. Each of them bring specific, unique skill sets to the Lakers. We talk a lot about 
you know, the difference between positional defenders and disruptive defenders. Austin Reeves is a really good positional defender in this league already. Stanley Johnson is a really good disruptive defender already in this league. Wenyan Gabriel is just your textbook try-hard forward that you just know is going to get his, has a nose for the ball and is going to be flying around trying to make plays. He's a capable spot-up shooter as well. Again, for the money... And understanding that they're homegrown players that the fans are attached to, I just don't think you can do much, much better in the a veteran minimum market than those guys. So I think you retain all of those. Like we talked about earlier, no plotting centers, but you could get one who's a decent athlete to try to be a backup for you. Plumley in a trade with a team like the Hornets, Dwight Howard, if you sign him for the minimum contract. Again, Dwight Howard, as he showed last year, when he was able to play in small bursts, when he was able to play, when he was able to take nights off frequently, he was actually a very good backup center in the NBA. It's when you have to lean on him heavily that suddenly his uh, decline becomes readily apparent. But most importantly, on the periphery of that, outside of those guys, let's say they need to sign three or four additional guys for the veteran minimum, you got to target athletes on the perimeter. So I mentioned these earlier for Brooklyn. I'll read a handful of examples. DeAndre Bembry, Daniel House, Josh Jackson, Justin Jackson, Wesley Matthews, Otto Porter Jr. You know, there's a bunch of guys in this mold. There are dozens of them that I was looking at this morning. And alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis, they would be in small roles that they should be able to excel at. And so you don't have to be picky. You can take what's available. Just don't make the mistake that Rob Palika made last year and target tiny players. Now, Malik Monk, there was some reporting today that he might be willing to take less money than he's worth to stay to stay with the Lakers. Again, if if Kyrie comes for the uh, the uh, MLE, you have to take Kyrie. If Kyrie doesn't come for the MLE and Malik Monk's willing to come for six million, that sounds great, right? But again, if you can get a good wing for six, if you can get Otto Porter Jr. for six million, you got to take Otto Porter Jr. over Malik Monk. Because Otto Porter Jr. demonstrated that he is very valuable in playoff series because of his size, his intelligence, his perimeter shooting, his ability to thrive in a smaller role next to great players. So as much as I like Malik Monk and he was a joy to watch last year, I wish him a great deal of success around the league, I just don't see a realistic path to the Lakers keeping him that doesn't sacrifice their ability to fix other flaws on the roster. And that might mean you have to let Malik Monk walk. And the last but not least for the Lakers, this is why I like the Kyrie Irving acquisition for them specifically. The Lakers will always have spacing concerns because they have two massive rim pressuring forwards in LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So teams will consistently pack the paint on them even when there are good shooters on the floor. Kyrie Irving's immunity to spacing, the ability to shoot over the top of defenders becomes immensely valuable in tight space situations. It's another reason why I like that fit. So again, that's my initial takeaway for the Lakers. If Russell Westbrook does end up getting traded and they do not sign Kyrie Irving, obviously if something other than those two outcomes happens, we will reapproach this in the future. All right, before we get out of here today, I did want to take just a couple of minutes to talk about this ever-growing beef between Draymond Green, the new media, and the old media, the establishment media, the take artists, whatever you want to call it. And so Draymond, uh, his podcast that I listened to this morning was just him going down the line, letting everybody know what it is. And I thoroughly enjoyed that. You guys know me. I'm pro victory laps. Like to me, winning has to mean something. 
if there's one time that I think you should be able to talk shit with impunity, it's when you've won the trophy. And so I have no issue with it. But Draymond Green's per- his beef is with the, ge- with the way that the game is covered. And I, I personally find that to be very interesting because I grew up listening to all these guys. You know, I, I, I grew up listening to Skip Bayless from time to time. Obviously, now I can't stand it. Like, it's like nails on a chalkboard to me. I almost get like secondhand awkwardness. Even when I see his uh, videos come along the Twitter feed, I have a hard time even just watching those because I've grown up a lot since then, you know. But one of the biggest things that since I got into this business and I'm relatively new into this business is you're, you're, you're trying to succeed, right? You want to, the, the, the ultimate goal here is to put food on the table, right? So you're trying to pay attention to trends and see what works and see what doesn't. And, you know, it's always been interesting to me how many people gravitate towards that kind of content. And sometimes how it feels as though not as many people gravitate towards the analysis. And so you can, you can kind of get a little bit discouraged sometimes. So I see where Draymond Green is coming from there. But I listened to another podcast this morning. I listened to uh, Colin Coward interviewing Peter Guber, who is one of the majority owners for the Golden State Warriors. Towards the end of the episode, I highly recommend you guys check it out. Towards the end of the episode, Colin asked Peter a simple question about Bitcoin, basically saying like, it's not something that I personally believe in, but I know a lot of really smart, successful people who do. What do you make of that? And what Peter said really resonated with me. He said, and I'm paraphrasing here, he's like, when you feel a desire to be critical of something, try to be curious about it instead. The idea there being, if you see something you don't understand, instead of just getting upset about it, try to learn about it. Try to learn why it is the way that it is. And, I, and I'm not speaking about specifically Draymond there because I know Draymond knows why those things work. But that's just how I rationalize it. So like when I see people like Skip Bayless putting out a form of sports media content that I find borderline reprehensible, when I see that... Instead of me trying to just get mad at it, I try to understand it. And one of the things I've learned in this business is the reality is a lot of people gravitate towards that. A lot of people gravitate toward hot takes. A lot of people gravitate towards the debate model. And a lot of people gravitate towards surface level drama over analysis. A lot of people do. That is the reality. However, the flip side is, is a lot of people also gravitate towards real analysis. I've been blown away by your guys' support of my show because I like sometimes I'm like, I'm sitting here talking about pick and roll coverages and I can't believe how many of you guys care. And I'm very thankful for that. But I also see people like JJ Reddick succeeding. I see people like Draymond Green succeeding. I, you know, I, I, uh, uh, Tim Legler does an amazing job for ESPN. Zach Lowe does an amazing job for ESPN. There are all these guys out there who provide more detailed analysis. And then there's like an army of lower level people doing that for teams and doing stuff for blogs and things along those lines. There's a ton of people who produce that kind of content. And a lot of you guys genuinely love it. And so what I've just acknowledged is that in the, in this media landscape, there are different paths you can choose. Different people break the game down in different ways. And there's no such thing as like a crowded field. It's not like TV where you're competing against a handful of channels and it's like, okay, I'm either going to listen to, you know, Stuart Scott and the, and the crew on ESPN or maybe I can go over to, you know, Fox Sports Net or something like that. It's not like that anymore. Now it's there. It's it's a flooded field. You can go anywhere. There is no limit. There is no, if I I can listen to five podcasts that break down the NBA finals in one day, if I choose to. And so because of that, I just, I just, I appreciate that we can get the eyeballs and the ears that we can get rather than getting upset 
about the uh, the the Skip Bayless type of stuff out there because again, like uh, there are probably some of you guys who listen to this show who also listen to Skip, and I don't think you're I don't think you're wrong for listening to Skip. It's just not my cup of tea. It's just not what I'm into. And I think it's cool that you can listen to both if you want to, if you're into that sort of thing. Here's where I very much powerfully agree with Draymond. Another thing Peter Gruber said in his podcast with Colin Coward, he talked about how being an owner of a basketball team, he doesn't like the semantics of the word owner because he doesn't feel like he owns anything. It's more of a partnership. What he said is that he feels like the steward of a team when he is an owner, meaning he's kind of like in charge of uh, he's he's kind of like in charge of navigating that team through a certain period of time. And the way I look at it, all of us who talk about the game of basketball are stewards of the game of basketball. Again, guys, like I gave my life to this game, literally. From the time I turned 18 years old, every waking minute, with exception of the times I absolutely had to be doing something else or when I was relaxing with my wife, I've given to this game. I, I, no one pays me to volunteer for the high school that I coach for. No one pays me to train those kids or to go to practice or, or to do the things that I do. I do it because I love it. I do it because I love, I, I want to give something to the young basketball players that are coming up in my city. I, I, I I played in men's leagues and I play pickup. I train like a professional athlete, even though no one pays me a dime. And it's just because I love the game. I love this game so much. It means so much to me. And it's so important for this game to continue to be healthy going into the future. And so where I agree with Draymond vehemently is it sucks sometimes to see the game being talked about in that way because it is shallow to me and it is bad for the game in a lot of ways, in my opinion. But at the end of the day, all I can trust is that at me on a much lower level, but then the higher ups, the Draymonds, the JJ Reddicks of the world, I hope that they take that responsibility as stewards of the game. And I, I say, I hope, I know they do. I trust JJ and I trust Draymond to do this, but they are the stewards of the game. It's their job now in, you know, with guys like Tim Legler and Zach Lowe and all those guys that I mentioned, it's their job to continue to help grow that game into the future so that more people that happen to come across their content do learn about the game of basketball. When I listen, when I go back and I look at the comments to get feedback from you guys, one of my favorite things that I see is things along the lines of, you know, I feel like I learned about the game today. You know, Jason helps me learn about the game. That means the world to me. That's all that matters to me. I want to increase the population of people that are in love with the game of basketball. That's what matters the most to me. And so at the end of the day, like I totally see where Draymond's coming from. I feel those same visceral feelings that he feels. I just am kind of at peace with it because I just get that that's the way the business is. I understand too that I'm going to have to do a certain amount of that kind of stuff. I'm going to have to do lists. I'm going to have to do comparisons. I'm going to have to do those kinds of things. The one thing you can count on me for sure is I will never be critical of a player opportunistically. I'll give you an example. I've been extremely critical of Russell Westbrook. I am, when I am critical of Russell Westbrook, it puts up numbers. I have social media clips over the last couple, over the, over the course of the last year that breached millions of people because of me being critical of Russell Westbrook. But that is just coincidental because I would never be critical of Russ opportunistically. You know, you guys know why I'm critical of Russ? He offends me as a fan of the game of basketball. He is one of the most naturally gifted athletes I've ever seen in my life. 
I'll never forget a play when he had broken his nose in Oklahoma City. It was, I want to say the year after Kevin Durant left. So it was during his MVP season. And he had a play, he was wearing that like uh, face mask. And he goes running down the court and transition, jumps from behind the semicircle, damn near at the free throw line. Cocks it back with two hands behind his head like this and throws it down. And the entire gym is just floored from what they saw. I watched the clip like a hundred times in a row when it happened. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. He is a nuclear athlete, possibly pound for pound, the best athlete that we've ever seen in the NBA. And the guy just has never cared enough about improving himself on the, on the uh, periphery of his game, committing to the defensive end of the floor, you know, being willing to fit alongside stars, working on your jump shot, working on your mid-range shot, your floater, your push shot, your short-range game. He was one of the worst volume rim finishers in the league this year. And it just feels like a waste to me. And then when you combine that with his obstinate attitude and the way that he can just be like, nah, screw you guys. I have it all figured out. You guys don't know what you're talking about. That's offensive to me. So when I talk about Russ that way, it's very organic. It's this is not Skip Bayless attaching his name to LeBron for the sake of numbers. Russell Westbrook will be gone from the Lakers in all likelihood this year, and I probably won't talk about him much anymore because he's probably going to disappear into irrelevance. And you know what? Our show is going to do fine because you guys like that. I like to talk about basketball. So again, like that, I have my own little personal commitments in my much smaller role as one of the smaller stewards of this game. But like I, the way I see it, we just do the best we can with our platforms. And Draymond, you do the best you can. And JJ, you do the best you can. Amplify each other. Amplify each other. That's why I'm amplifying those names that I mentioned earlier. But it just acknowledge the reality that there are a lot of people that like that crap. And they're going to continue to like that crap. And the crap's not going away. And so it's it's just the reality of the business. But I'm I'm happy for Draymond that he's taking his his uh, his victory laps. And last but not least, to be honest, like one of the things with this business is you have to acknowledge the reality that when you are critical of someone, you could face consequences. Like what's happening with Draymond uh, talking about these people is they said things, and there are consequences to those things. Freedom of speech is not the same as freedom from consequences. I understand that if I'm Next year, if I'm critical of Anthony Davis one day and he decides to tweet at me like, who the hell are you? What's your problem? Like that's, that's a potential repercussion. You know, when, when you're in this business and you, and you are talking like that, you always know there's a potential for fallback. It's just part of the deal. Um, but that's all I got for today, guys. I sincerely appreciate your support as always. We will have more free agency previews throughout the week. Check out this on YouTube. If you missed it for whatever reason, you can find it on our uh, podcast feed under Lakers tonight. Remember to follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT. That is all I have for you guys today. I'll see you guys in a couple of days. The Volume. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.